The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Well, good morning. I hope you've all enjoyed your weekend and had a great uh, Canada Day. What gorgeous weather we've had. I pray that you've uh, enjoyed being outside some of that time. I went on a gorgeous bike ride on Friday. I went for a couple of walks. And uh, at the end of the evening, I felt I deserved a nice snack. And I'm not supposed to do product placement, but I can't help myself. This is a really good snack. If you ever want this, oops, go back here. It says cranberry. Whoa, that's the end of the slide. Can we go right back to the beginning? I'll tell you about it as he finds it. It's a cranberry almond chicken salad. It's actually really yummy. It's good for you. And so I was sitting down. I had a couple crackers, and I was eating this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't wait. And I bite into it. like, this tastes a little bit tangier or zingier than it normally does. And, you know, I, I ate the whole thing, but there's something in my mind that didn't quite enjoy it as much. And, and then I thought, you know, I should go check because I had a few more in the kitchen, in the, you know, fridge. And I check, and sure, it's, you know, expires June 21st. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to pay for this. And I did a little bit. And, uh, but, you know, one of the great things about living in Canada is we have a great health system. I'm so glad I didn't have to go to the ER for stomach pump or something like that. But, uh, uh, but you know, when I did think about uh, the hospital, I don't know how many of you have ever had to spend the, the night in the hospital or a long period of time in the hospital. I haven't had to do that. And, and I was imagining what that would be like in many different ways. And, and one of the ways I think for me would be uh, fairly humbling when you get to that stage where you need help caring for your body. And uh, we know when you go to the hospital, there's people, wonderful people whose job is to care for us. And they'll give you a bath if you need it. They'll help you go to the bathroom. But I can imagine for myself that being in that situation would be humbling, being able to accept that kind of help, to see for the beauty of the body and the blemishes of the body. They see everything. And that would be humbling. And I'd imagine this, and imagine being in that situation right now. And it wasn't just a healthcare worker who comes to help, but all of a sudden, if you're a student, it's your favorite teacher. Or it's your favorite boss at work. And they come in to help you, to clean you, to take you to the bathroom. How would that make you feel? Now imagine that Jesus Christ himself walks into the hospital and he says, I'm going to bathe you. I'm going to help you go to the washroom. That's somewhat of the emotion that we need to have as we read the scripture today, which is found in John 13. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles right now to John 13. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses. I want to let you know that uh, 13 is sort of the, the turning point in the Gospel of John. Is the second half. The first half would be called the Book of Signs. It's all the public ministry of Jesus primarily, where signs were being done so people could know who he is. And the second half would be called more the Book of Glory. This is more the, the private time between Jesus and his disciples, the time before his time on the cross and his resurrection. So starting in 13, we have what's called the farewell discourse, which will go all the way to chapter 17, where Jesus has his prayer for his disciples. And then 18, 19, 20 is the passion narrative, and 21, the last chapter, is the epilogue. It's what kind of encapsulates the whole book. So you need to know that that's the environment of what we're going into now, 
as we read these words. And so please stand with me as I read. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later on you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Please be seated. So first of all, just to give you a, the context of what this would have looked like, uh, if you think of going out to eat, we usually sit at a table with chairs and our feet are under the table. It'd be pretty awkward to go around the table and wash someone's feet. You'd have to kind of pull them out, wash their feet. Uh, but at the time of Jesus, uh, a Roman table was often used in people's household. It was in the shape of a U. Uh, it was made that way so that the servants could go in the middle and they could serve the food. And uh, the men would, uh, primarily the men would be at the table. They'd be sitting on their left uh, arm and they'd have their right arm for feeding and they'd be kind of facing each other that way. And so uh, it was usually slaves who would do the cleaning of the feet. It was a very bottom of the rung kind of job. And their feet could be washed and you don't even have to think about the person washing your feet because your heads are all in the middle and you can just keep talking with each other. And uh, the Bible tells us that it's in this situation that Jesus says, I want to come and demonstrate the full extent of my love. There's four relationships that I want to highlight as we go through John 13. And it's sort of like a bullseye. If you can imagine, we're going to go into the middle and then back out. So the first one's going to be with Jesus and the Father, then with Jesus and Peter, Jesus with his disciples, and then Judas. And then it works our way back out again. We see Jesus with, with his disciples, Jesus with Peter, and then in chapter 14, we get back to Jesus with his father. And so with that, let's start going through these uh, verses together. John 13, verse 1 says, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Again, all throughout John, we know that Jesus was never surprised as far as what was going to happen with his death and resurrection. That's why he came. There is a, a redemptive perspective through all of John and a resurrection perspective. Jesus knew what his mission was. The NIV says the time has come. A better translation is the hour has come. And as you go through John, you recognize that many times when Jesus talked to his mother, the hour has not yet come. That phrase comes up all the time. And now it says, now the hour has come. 
So we know we're getting to the climax of the story. We know that Jesus now isn't thinking anymore of years or months. He's saying, these are my final moments, and I'm going to be with the ones I love. I'm going to use it with my own. And he knew that the end game was going to his father. It's interesting that John doesn't just say that it's time to leave this world and I go to the cross. He says, I will leave this world and I'm going to be going to my father. Because Jesus always knew what the end game was, not just the parts in between. And what a beautiful verse we hear in John 13, verse 2. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Another way of uh, expressing that is he loved them to the limit. He loved them fully. No one can love you and I better than Jesus. If you're lacking love in your life, I can tell you who to turn to. Turn to Jesus. Because he's the one who can love you fully. And that impacts the rest of life. When we run to different things to find fulfillment or love, we will always be disappointed if we haven't turned to Jesus first and then allowed him to direct us to the things that please him in life. What a beautiful Savior we have. Next phrase says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Again, Jesus knew his identity. He knew where he was from. And because he knew where he was from, he could do. And that's where it says so. He knew all these things. And because he knew these things, I don't know how you'd respond. If you knew that you were, had all power, that God was pleased with you, I don't know how I or you would respond if we said, wow, I'm all powerful. I don't know what I'd do with that. I'll tell you what Jesus did. He stood up. He took out his outer garment. He knelt down with a basin. And he washed his disciples' dirty feet. Huh. It's not what I'd expect of the greatest person ever. What a surprise. You can imagine what the disciples were feeling, similar to hopefully before when we were saying about if you were in the hospital. And Jesus came in and said, I'm going to wash you. I'll take you to the bathroom. No! No, Lord. But this is what Jesus said. You know, this story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet is only found in the Gospel of John. And it's actually not found in the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the place of this story, they have the story of the Eucharist. And so these stories are parallel together. Jesus isn't just telling a story about washing feet. He's talking about sacrificial service. He's talking about his life going to the cross for ultimate cleansing of us. He is our Passover lamb. This is the verse that came to mind for me as I was reading it this week. It's when in chapter 1 when John sees Jesus. He goes, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he says this. He says, here is the one who comes. Uh, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I'm not worthy to take off Jesus' feet, Jesus' shoes. And he's willing to come and wash mine. Doesn't that tell you something about the humble nature of God? God doesn't play act anything. He is who he is. He's always humble. Even when he commands us to worship him, it's in humility. 
Because he knows that only by us doing that can we find life, can we find fulfillment, can we find love. Only in that can we receive what we need for life. So even those commands that we can misunderstand, say, how could God say that? He's this humble God who just desires to give. And in his giving, he's glorified. Well, the next relationship is Jesus and Peter. Jesus is starting to go around and he's washing the disciples' feet. And, and Peter asks that question, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet, are you? Uh, it, it might be a question. It actually sounds more like, no, nah, you're, you're not going to do this, right? And Jesus says, you know, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will. I need to do this. No, no way. You are not touching my feet. Maybe he had bunions or planters warts. I don't know. But he didn't want Jesus to touch his feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. <laughs> Peter, as the hot-tempered and emotional guy he is, he says, Well then, if that's the case, do my, do my hands and my head as well. Do everything. I, I just want to be completely covered then. And I don't know what his motive is in for saying these things, but I do know this about Peter. If you want to know someone who really loved Jesus, it's Peter. Peter loved Jesus extremely. And what Jesus is saying is, unless I wash you, and that's important to see here, it's Jesus who has to wash Peter, it's Jesus who has to wash you, and it's Jesus who has to wash me, if what? We want to have a part with him. If you want to be in communion with God, Peter, you're going to have to let me wash your feet. And he goes on to explain a little bit more what this means in the next verse. After Peter says, wash everything, Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only, his feet, only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean. Jesus is saying this, He's saying, you in Christ have already been cleansed. In other words, you're justified. You're in a relationship with God. That's not going to change. Your body's clean. Your feet aren't just dirty here. This means there's still sin in your life that plagues you day by day. And even though your body's clean, I have to come and I have to regularly clean your feet so that those sins are dealt with and that you still recognize that you continually need me to forgive your sins. That's a bit of a paraphrase of what's taking place here. He says, your whole body is clean. The NIV actually obscures this a little bit because the word body is not in the Greek. It doesn't say body. It says, you are wholly clean. And I think what John wants to do is he wants to get us just off of the physical act of what Jesus is doing physically, and he wants us to say, this is what I've done for you spiritually. I've cleaned your body. You're in relationship with me, but I still need to clean the sin that plagues your daily life. You need to come to me for that. No one else can do it. Only God. So we have union with God because our body's clean, but we have communion with him regularly because we have our sins forgiven on a daily basis. I don't know if you ever feel that stifling of the Holy Spirit. You feel far from God. There's many different reasons, but one reason can be there's unconfessed sin in life. And you might be in a saving relationship with God, but you've been allowing some things to happen that you're not letting Jesus wash your feet. 
because maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe it's humbling. And it should be those things. But with God, when he cleans us, we realize that, wow, what a humble Savior. And then you understand the love and the extent of his grace. And it changes life when you let Jesus wash your feet. So I have this question for you. How do you respond when you recognize your feet need to be cleaned? Happens. Happens to all of us. If you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. John writes that to Christians. Please, when you feel the sense of guilt in your life, don't let it turn to shame and you put it on yourself and it draws you away from God. Let that guilt be a gift that makes you recognize, Lord, I need you to wash my feet and may that put words of praise and gratitude in your life. You only love God to the extent that you realize what he's done for you. The more you understand how much he's forgiven your sin, the more you will love him. If you lack love for God, you probably lack an understanding of the depth of your sin and the depth of God's grace. Enter into God's grace. And it's not easy to accept that when you're scared or embarrassed or feel humiliated, but God doesn't humiliate. He comes as a humble God and he offers to forgive. He just wants to build you up for, your, for his glory. Next group of people here is Jesus and the disciples. And so uh, Jesus says these words. He goes, so now if, if I've done this as your Lord and teacher, if I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Wow. Now this isn't again talking like foot washing. We don't do that in church. In the Bible, there's only one other occurrence of foot washing. It wasn't meant to be that, okay, make this an action that you do in the church. Come in, take your shoes off, wash your feet. It's not talking about that. It's talking about submissive, self-giving, humble service towards one another. And I'd say on a deeper level, it's also saying that if you have allowed Jesus to wash your feet, if you've done the humble work of submitting to God so that he's forgiven your sin, and you've been in that and you understand about the grace of God and how it leads you towards joy in Him, now you're at a place to help wash others' feet. And it doesn't just say, now you ought to wash others' feet. It says, now you should wash one another's feet. Do you know that I need you to live well for Christ? Do you know that you need me to live well for Christ? If we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. The Bible says that there is no other way. If someone tells you, all I need is God and me, I can listen to the church and I can study on my own, that is not the gospel. That is not truth. It doesn't say wash your own feet. It doesn't say, it says Jesus washes your feet, now wash one another's feet. In our daily lives, we need each other to encourage us to live for righteousness, for purity, for all the things that are good. Let's encourage one another and let's wash each other's feet. That's our mission. A prayer that we should have is, Lord, wash my feet today. Another prayer we should have is, Lord, use me to wash other people's feet. And Lord, help me to be humble enough to have my feet washed by them. Are our lives that open with others that we get to that place? Or are our feet always just covered? People need to see my feet. So the secret of a blessed life is this. 
you're looking for a blessed life, there are different answers in Scripture, but this is one of them, and it's key. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. It's not good enough to hear this and say, oh yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. You know, I could understand how that might be helpful. I like that. I might do that someday. You will not have a blessed life that way. A blessed life comes from doing. God says, I do. That's how it works. And that's when the blessing comes. You know how freeing it is when you know that other people have seen your feet and they've also helped you clean them? There's no more hiding. Satan can't get a foothold in to say, if only they knew this, they wouldn't want to spend that time with you. Oh, you hypocrite, if they knew this. You say, Satan, you're right, I'm a sinner, but I'm forgiven. Praise God. You can point to any sin in my life, Satan, and I can just tell you, God can redeem it. He can use it to help other people walk closer to him. If I don't try to justify it, if I don't try to hide it, if I just say, yes, that's right, I screwed up. I live in sin quite regularly, and God forgives my sin. And more and more, I want to live righteously for God in his strength and his power. Don't give Satan a foothold by trying to hide sin. Let's help each other. Joy is a byproduct of obeying God. One of my idols in life was pleasure. I can tell you that. I'm a joy seeker. I love having fun, and I'll seek fun in many different ways. But what God has taught me is if I seek fun in just material ways, I will have a great time for a moment, but I will always be disappointed, and I will always be wanting more. And he says, Doug, Listen to me, obey me, have life in me, and you can always have more <laughs> because it's all about God and he is an eternal fountain who will never end. He says, get all the joy you want in me, Doug. All the joy. Don't be, don't be worried about I won't have enough. Come to me and have life to the full and do that by being obedient. Wash your feet. Have your feet washed by Christ and then be willing to have your feet washed by others. And offer them help as well. So now we get to the crux, and this is Jesus and Judas. I'm going to just speed up the story a little bit here. We have to get outside of this bullseye. Um, he talks here, first of all, he goes, uh, the truth that I'm saying, this doesn't refer to everybody. Some of you don't belong to me. I'm telling you what's going to happen now about my life, that I'm going to die so that you will believe later. And whoever accepts me accepts my Father. And after we hear this phrase, then Jesus says that his heart becomes really troubled. It says, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. What I want to highlight here is Jesus was not surprised or fooled by this. Back in John 6, verse 70, then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. The disciples this whole time hasn't, haven't known who this devil is, but they know it's one of them. And they also don't, they, some of them say, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Is it me? They don't know. This devil is very well hidden. What I want you to know about is this. Jesus knows your life. He knows my life. And he already knows all the ways that I'm going to hurt him. And he's already chosen to forgive me. He's already chosen to love me. My part is to surrender to him. 
Jesus washed Judas's feet. Now, that didn't mean that Jesus, uh, Judas was a Christian before. Mm-mm. It meant his body was never clean. Jesus washed his feet, but Judas had never even wanted his body clean. We find out a little bit more about Judas in this situation where they say, well, how are we going to know? John asked Jesus, who is this person who's going to betray you? And he says, the person I give the bread and dip in the wine, that's the person who's going to, be betray, who's going to betray me. And it says, as soon as Judas took the bread, and being given the bread was a sign of friendship, a sign of honor from Jesus to him. It was, it was a continue. Here's, a, here's still hope in some ways. It says, Satan entered into him. There is such a thing as demon possession. There is such a being as Satan and his demons. And in Judas, Satan made himself present because Judas had his life open to it. And he would never have the Holy Spirit in him because he opened up his life to Satan. Hugely important for us to know. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. This is when Judas was going to leave now to go get the crowds to put Jesus on trial. The next phrase, it says that Judas went, the people said, why is Judas going? They don't even understand now why he's going, because they thought he's the treasurer. Maybe he's going to buy some food for the poor, because this is a time where they did social things, I mean, uh, charitable things for others. They didn't even recognize that it was still Judas. But it says, as soon as Judas has taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. And this is important to know, not just because of the time of day, it's a symbol Last week, Tim talked about Jesus is the light. And now we find out that Judas went into the night. The antithesis. John, there's a verse that we read back in chapter 3, 3 verse 19. It says, the light had come into the world, but people hated the light because of their evil deeds. That's Judas. He's a thief. He's a robber. That's what the Bible talked about. You know, the good shepherd, beware of the thief and the robber. That's what Judas was. So Judas leaves, and from then on, now this is all a private narrative for the rest of John. It's a private narrative till chapter 17 between Jesus and his disciples. And this is key for us today. Jesus talks about him being glorified. He says, I am going to be glorified in my Father. Just so you know this For John, when they looked at the cross, that was never a defeat. That was not even really sorrow. It was victory because Jesus knew what he'd come to do. It was for the glory of his Father. And I just want to highlight this command to us today because this is hugely important, especially as we think of the Lord's Supper. It says, A new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my my disciples if you love one another. Back in Leviticus 19, verse 18, one of the first times we're told that love your neighbor as yourself. So this isn't a new commandment really, right? Because isn't that kind of the same thing? Well, there's a few things that are a little bit different because the first one was love your neighbor and this one is saying love one another. This is talking to us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Make our focus that we love one another. And then it said love your neighbor as what? As yourself. And this verse is saying, as I have loved you. (laughs) Wow, that's a pretty high standard. To the extent that you have experienced Jesus' love is the extent that you are supposed to extend it to others. If we don't experience love among ourselves, 
we have to ask ourselves, how much have we actually been experiencing the love of God personally? And then say, Lord, I want to experience that more and I want to respond to you more. And the outcome is this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You know what God's strategy is for reaching this world? It's for you and I to love each other in Christ. I don't need to make it any more complicated than that. You and I, in Christ, need to love one another. We need to wash one another's feet. And I can tell you that's not going to happen by just coming to church on Sunday morning or another midweek meeting. It's going to come as we say, I want to invest in your life. I need you to invest in mine. I really want to grow to love you. And that's not going to happen with every single person in this church on a deep level, but it sure has to happen with some. And it has to be a possibility with all. There's no place for us to say, I don't want to get to know you in our life to another person. That's the antithesis of Jesus. He says, love. It's pointless to command people to love until we have received that love from Christ. And this is what I really want to highlight, even as we go to communion, that when God tells us to do something, he doesn't say do it on your own, and that's often what we try to do to prove that we're in Christ or to do it for God. He says receive it and give it. Receive God's love, and to the extent that you've received it, give it. Receive God's sacrificial service, and to the extent that you've received it, give it. And I hope that it can be a standard for our church. So now we go to Jesus and Peter. And this is the, the, where Peter is just saying, Lord, Jesus is saying, you can't follow me, Peter. I'm going to the cross. He doesn't say these words, but you, you can't follow me. And Peter says, why can't I follow you? He goes, well, you can't follow me now. You can follow me later. And Peter says, Jesus, I will lay my life down for you. I'm willing to lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, will you really lay your life down for me? Peter, I know that in a very short time, because my cross is tomorrow, and I know that within less than 24 hours, you are going to deny me three times. Peter's problem wasn't a lack of passion. It was a misdirected passion. He thought he could save Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you try to save me, that gets in the way. I'm the one who's here to save you. Let me do this. I have to do this. And you don't know the depth even of your sin yet, Peter. But you will find that out short, sure enough. And finally, just to finish us off, we get into chapter 14. And we're not going to be talking. This will be about next week. But this is Jesus and the Father. And in chapter 14, we learn about the weight of the Father and that Jesus reveals the Father. And he has these beautiful words, My Father's house. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think? That even now in eternity, Jesus' heart as a servant who loves us and cares for us and wants to bless us is there. He's preparing a place for us. And let's keep that in mind now as we spend this time at the communion table. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and the servers. And the, uh, the one question I have for you is have you, placed your, have you placed your feet into the hands of Jesus? This is the most important question you can answer this side of heaven. 
Have you let Jesus wash you? And are you continually letting him clean you? And the Bible says that when we come to this table, we remember what God did for us. He broke his bread. He gave his body on our behalf. He shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If you shed your blood, you just die. That was it. Jesus shed his blood. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent us his Holy Spirit. So today when we're here, the first question for all of us is, have I already accepted what Christ has done for me that my body's clean? And if you've done that, this table's for you. And the other question as we enter this table and this time is, Lord, my feet are dirty. Wash them. Lord, my feet are dirty. I need help with my feet for my friends. Man, I want to see that level of intimacy in my life with people. And I hope that we can each grow towards that with the help of God. Let's pray together. Father, today we thank you so much for who you are and for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself as a God who is humble and loving and ready to forgive the one who makes it possible for us to be in relationship with you and also relationship with each other, the one who gives us a mission for this world to see your love through us so that people might be drawn to you. And so, Lord, as we come to this table, we remember the extent of your love that you died on the cross for us. And we thank you right now particularly for your bread. We thank you for the bread that represents your body. And we thank you that you know all about suffering, that when we suffer, we have a great high priest who understands in every single way how we have been tempted. And we remember that now as we take part in your bread. And we ask, Lord, for you to come and clean our feet. In Jesus' name, amen.